Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility by a natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naturna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. We are continuing our adventure through a nutrition and fertility series. And today, the spotlight is going to be on caffeine. So there's a lot of debate on whether drinking coffee affects your fertility or caffeine in general. And so I thought we could take this session and just hone in on the topic and look at one particular large study, a meta-analysis, so a very reputable study on the association between coffee or caffeine consumption and fertility. It's a systematic review and dose response. So the aim was to investigate whether coffee or caffeine consumption is associated with reproductive health and natural fertility or assisted reproductive outcomes. Does it have a negative impact or not? Is it associated with higher chance of miscarriage? And so this study kind of went through those and it took into account doses like 200 to 300 milligrams of coffee or caffeine daily. And what it did find was that there was a strong correlation between pregnancy loss, so spontaneous abortion, and coffee or caffeine consumption. And what it also found was that there didn't seem to be a strong link between the coffee or caffeine consumption and affecting fertility outcomes. Though, I don't know, I surmise that if potentially causing pregnancy loss at fairly low doses, then why wouldn't it also be impacting other fertility parameters? But let's go through it. We know from this large study that there was a significant increase in spontaneous abortion or miscarriage in those consuming 300 milligrams of caffeine a day, which by the way is like three shots of espresso, a couple cups of drift coffee, or let's say a cup of coffee, some chocolate and a kombucha. Like it adds up fast. And I think that's what people don't get is that, oh, I only have one cup of coffee a day. I'm like, what else are you having? And how big was that coffee? How many shots were in it if you're drinking espresso? Did you also have a cup of tea? You know, there's other things involved. And there's also just your physiology, like the size of you, for example, how you process it, your stress levels. But, you know, I'll get into mentioning a bit more of that just so that you have the full picture so you can make informed decisions. So in general, the results from the study supportive of a precautionary principle advised by health organizations such as the European Food Safety Authority, EFSA, and the World Health Organization, the WHO. And they advise to limit to like caffeine or coffee to a maximum of two to three cups daily. So 200 to 300 milligrams per day. But they also stated, especially the European Food Safety Authority, because maybe they tend to be more cautious about things. They also stated that this is actually probably too high. Like they're probably allowing too much flexibility in 200 to 300 milligrams. And again, one ounce of espresso can be up to 150 milligrams, two shots of espresso, which is generally in a latte, 
is up to 200 or more milligrams. One cup of coffee, depending on the size, if you get like a venti or something, that could be like 150, 200 milligrams. So again, this adds up pretty fast. Worldwide, one in six couples experience fertility issues during their reproductive lifetime. While it can be explained in some cases like failure to ovulate or damage to the fallopian tubes or low sperm count, there are many more cases that are unexplained. And to be honest, a lot of the women I see are in the unexplained fertility category. Like there is something going on that their doctors don't know what it is. And, you know, I love focusing on this area because it's often an accumulation of little things that you do day to day that are affecting your fertility, like just bringing it down just a little bit so that you're not quite conceiving. And, you know, caffeine intake does fall into this. And I'm not saying you can't consume any, but I think there, you know, has to be like really some mindfulness to this and some thought about like, you know, how is it really affecting you and how much do you actually need it? You know, we tend to just go through our day and continue our habits and not give them much thought, even if we know in our heart of hearts that, you know, maybe it's not serving us. So this is like an opportunity to just tune in a little bit and see, you know, what is the value of this for you and how should you maybe look at it and modify habits accordingly. So because there's a lot of unexplained infertility, we want to look at the modifiable exposures. You know, what are the things that you can modify yourself so that you could maybe improve your fertility? Because there are some things that you don't have control over, but there are quite a lot of things that you do have control over, which is, you know, really the point of this podcast is to get you savvy enough on the things that you have control over to be able to make informed decisions and improve your chances of a healthy conception and pregnancy and baby. So because coffee consumption is so common worldwide, this has been looked at. And Finland apparently has the highest consumption of coffee per person per year, with Denmark being the fourth most coffee consuming country. And as I mentioned earlier, caffeine containing drinks and foods are widely consumed by everyone, including women trying to conceive and pregnant women. And these have varying amounts of caffeine. Like people don't think about kombucha having caffeine, but it does. Well, it's like a whole bottle of black and green tea. It's pretty huge. Like when you think about actually what a normal sort of cup of tea looks like in say India or China or in Britain, it's not very big. And so when you <laughs> you drink a whole bottle of kombucha, you know, that's probably another 100. And because, you know, like a cup of tea is maybe 40 milligrams. So average cup of coffee, like a normal size coffee, 100 milligrams. When we get into the larger cups, which I see people walking around with, that's more than 100 milligrams. And there are even like small effects that coffee and caffeine intake can have on our overall physiology that can have health consequences. And we have to consider that. We have to consider the decisions that we're making on a day to day. The European Food Safety Authority recommends women desiring to conceive and pregnant women to keep their daily caffeine intake below 200 milligrams, while the WHO said they wanted under 300 milligrams. I mean, that's a pretty big difference, like 30% difference. Caffeine is an essential ingredient in coffee, as we know, but... We've also got the tea, kombucha, energy drinks, some supplements, like some like workout supplements have them. And just in general, like some like energy supplements will have it, soft drinks, chocolate, like for all of those of you who are eating dark chocolate and being like, oh, it's got antioxidants, it's healthy. It's got so much caffeine. It's got a ton of caffeine and also is very acidic and not so good if you have acid reflux or constipation. 
or any kind of irritable bowel. But I know that people are really wed to the chocolate. So just keep it to a minimum and balance it out between the other sources of caffeine you're having. Like I said, you don't have to have none, but become conscious. So what the study found was that a high level of coffee consumption during pregnancy has been associated with an increased risk of fetal death after 20 weeks of gestation and stillbirth. That's terrifying. So it's not only like early pregnancy loss in, you know, like six, seven, eight weeks of pregnancy, like you could lose your pregnancy when you're halfway through the pregnancy and that baby is like fairly developed. In the mental analysis, it also showed an increased risk of low birth weight and small for gestational age was found in those who consumed a lot of caffeine. And... Recently, a meta-analysis reported that an increment intake of 100 milligram caffeine per day was associated with 14% increased risk of spontaneous abortion. 100 milligrams of caffeine a day is only that one cup of coffee, and that's a normal-sized coffee, not what most people are having, and that's one shot of espresso, depending on the espresso. Some will be less, some will be more. I think we're underestimating, and actually this study stated this, we're underestimating the risk associated with caffeine consumption and fertility and pregnancy. There also might be other substances in coffee besides caffeine that play an important role. I think most of the caffeine consumed in this study was from coffee. And I do find that there's a very different effect on our physiology between coffee and, say, other drinks like green tea or black tea, for example. I think coffee is the most stimulatory on our nervous system. Like if I have patients with high anxiety and they drink tea, they're generally reasonably okay. If they have high anxiety and they add coffee to it, it's usually causes, like they become more short-fused, more anxious, less ability to cope with stress. So I see a pretty marked difference in the way that coffee affects people versus how other forms of caffeine affect people. The moral of the story here is really to tune in a little bit when I have conversations with people about, you know, their coffee consumption or their caffeine consumption and, and, you know, their fertility treatment and their goals or what have you, you know, some people are like, I just can't, I can't ditch that one cup. I just can't ditch it. Okay, I get it. But yes, you can actually. And you can try modify. Like you can try having a cup of black tea, a cup of green tea, a cup of oolong tea. You could try doing that. And you might actually notice that you feel a lot better. You feel more emotionally well. You can actually feel more energetic, oddly, interestingly, or you keep it and you just drink less of it. You know, if you're like so wed to it, just cut your portion in half. And then if you're having coffee, don't add other caffeinated things during the day. Like don't have the chocolate, don't have the kombucha, don't have the cup of tea, like just don't, you know, keep it to a serving or split a serving into two times in a day. Like you have like a third of a cup at one point and a third of a cup at another point so that you're spacing it out. You're letting your physiology process it. You're drinking a ton of water. This is something that people don't understand either is that it's incredibly dehydrating. And that's all of the forms of caffeine, like whether you're drinking tea or coffee, but coffee is more dehydrating. So if you drink a cup of coffee, you should be drinking much like, you know, the rules around alcohol, you should be drinking like two cups of water with that. Something else to keep in mind is that coffee is hard on the liver and kidneys. So it makes it so that they don't like kind of cleanse as well. And it's also highly acidic. So in an acidic environment, we have more growth of microbes, yeast bacteria. And so if you have a problem with endometritis or you are having unexplained fertility and maybe, you know, it could be the internal environment like acid levels or bacteria and yeast or something preventing pregnancy, then coffee is not helping the situation. So I'm a fan of alkaline coffee if you're going to do it. And alkaline coffee can be found in various like online sellers and you can contact us at the Naturna Institute and we can get you some. But like I'm a fan of obviously no coffee, but if you're going to drink it, alkaline coffee is a great idea because at least it takes down the acidity. And I find people 
feel better on it. Like if they have inflammatory disorders like acid reflux or irritable bowel, usually the alkaline coffee is better on that. And that shows that it doesn't produce as much as a, of an inflammatory acidic response in insensitive individuals. And, you know, when somebody's having trouble conceiving, I'm kind of considering them, I'm like defaulting them into like a physiologically sensitive individual, like something is affecting your physiology that's making you unable to conceive. So I want to take out the irritants. I want to take out the things that are potentially bothering you. And so, you know, this is one of those things that I'm like, again, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to take it out completely, but to become very mindful of the decisions you're making about how much you're consuming, how you're consuming it, you know, of what time of day, if you're hydrating enough and all of that. I am a bigger fan of other forms of caffeine. Like green tea is good at sensitizing insulin. It's an antioxidant. So it's good for people with PCOS, good for people who are overweight. It's very, very good for weight loss and it's very light and cleansing. Oolong tea has some similar effects. It can be really great and it's just yummy. Like the Taeguan Yin or milky oolong, it's not actually with milk. It's just called that. Tastes very floral, very nice. There are nuances to tea that are much like nuances to wine. And it can be really fun to get to know the different varietals. You can go for black tea. You can do an Earl Grey. You can do, you know, a breakfast tea, whatever. It's still going to be less acidic on your system than coffee is. And it'll give you a little bit of that uplift. Now, the uplift from coffee is more instantaneous, but like people tend to crash more. The uplift from tea is a little more subtle, but it can carry you longer and more evenly. You don't have an up and down of emotions. You don't tend to get more agitated from it. So it's a bit more of an even energy. I'm a fan of just kind of like addressing overall habits to increase your energy level. Like don't eat late and get a good sleep and clean up your diet and drink a lot of water and do some exercise. You know, like these are the things that are going to keep get your energy to a point where you don't actually need the caffeine. Also, herbal medicine and supplements can be really helpful in regulating your adrenals, like your, so your stress gland function that can help you feel like more clear, more energetic. Needing coffee to me is just a symptom and it's a ritual. So it's a symptom of you maybe dragging a little bit. Maybe your habits are out of whack. Maybe your body needs a little bit of love. And it's like a comfort habit, which makes me think like, okay, there's stress, there's anxiety kind of thing. Like you need that thing to like have that comfort. So, you know, think about it, reflect on it, and maybe modify decisions accordingly. And I will keep bringing the info. Some of it you may like to hear and some of it you may not. <laughs> Thanks for listening and see you next time. I am really happy you tuned in and joined the community. And I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content in each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at Dr. Christina Burns or at Naturna underscore life to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.